Welcome to The Next Track, a podcast about how people listen to music today. I'm Doug Adams. And I'm Kirk McElhern. Hello, and thanks for having us in your podcast queue. You can get us in your Twitter timeline, too. We're at Next Track Cast. And another thing I wanted to mention is that we've started to publish Apple Music playlists of our Next Track picks, those those are the albums that we talk about at the end of each episode. And you'll find a link to each episode's playlist in the show notes for that episode. This is episode number 99 of the next track. Regular listeners will probably be aware that I used to be in radio. And occasionally we have an opportunity to mention one or two tidbits about my experiences in radio. But we've never done a show about radio, which is, well, there's a lot of music in radio. And a lot of people get their music from radio. Or they used to. And that reminds me, I want to tell you this story. It was 1999 or 2000, and one of my favorite salespersons at the, uh, at the cluster of radio stations I was working at in Providence had applied for and had just been promoted to be general manager, which is the guy who runs the whole shebang, at another cluster of stations in another town in another state. And I, I told him, I said, love it while you can, because I don't think radio is going to be around in 10 years. It didn't work out that way. Four years later, I was let go <laughs> from radio. I was asked to leave as part of a downsizing thing. And I don't resent not being in radio. It opened up a lot of other opportunities for me. I miss radio a little bit, but I, I kind of don't because I, I don't like the state of radio the way it is now. But anyway, we wanted to talk a little about radio and, um, and, and see where it goes. I rarely listen to the radio. I, I left the U.S. in 1984. I didn't listen to the radio that much in in the last years I was there. I listened to my own music or I went to clubs if I wanted music. Radio, I didn't I didn't have a car. I lived in New York City. It, you didn't have radio on a Walkman. Although I think there were some Walkmans that did have FM radio around that time, but I never used that. I listened to radio in the in the 70s and this was a way to discover music and maybe you hear some new songs, a new album you want to buy, live concerts on WNEW FM in New York. But I've never been a big radio fan. After I left, I lived in France for a long time. Now I live in the UK, and both countries have state-run radio networks. I would listen from time to time in France to the classical music channel, which is what I listen to here occasionally. But I just don't have the radio reflex. Even if I go out driving in my car, I'm more likely to listen to a podcast or listen to music from my iPhone than I am to turn on the radio. About the only time I listen to the radio is when I'm in the car. Um, it's just, you know, it's there. Sometimes I want information that they have, news and sports and weather and stuff like that. My wife will listen to the classic rock station, you know. Oh, look, there's Aerosmith. I used to listen to them. I used to listen to them. <laughs> yes. Um, but my big peeve is that radio just sounds terrible. Commercial radio stations, anyway. The competition for listeners is so strong. Stations try to get as many listeners as possible to keep ad rates up. And since that depends on how big their coverage area is, stations will resort to pushing their reach by compressing the audio signal so that it can be thrown further. So there's always this compromise. How far do you want to reach and how good do you want to sound? And some stations will really sacrifice sound quality for reach. The vocals will be up front and tinny and the drums are weighing back and sound like little sticks. And everything in the mid-range is just total mud. They've just 
totally ruin the sound. But that doesn't seem to stop people from listening to it, which is another mystery to me. Because, essentially, if you listen to a radio station, it's like listening to a single playlist. Right? I can go to Apple Music right now and listen to their classic rock playlist and probably hear pretty much what I would hear on the classic rock radio station. And so there's got to be something that keeps people going back to listening to radio, despite the quality of it. And I think a large part of that is that it's local. You know, you hear references to, well, not only local news and local weather, but I mean local topics of conversation, sports teams, other events going on in town. I think people want to relate to that and they want to, you know, pick up on what's going on locally. But other than that, I really don't see much point in, in listening to a broadcast radio station. You also get a lot of local advertisements. Go ahead. Give us an example of the local car dealer advertisement. <laughs> uh, I, I'm in SAG after, pal. you got to pay you me. Used to, you used to record those all the time, right? Oh, yeah. I sure, And I, I still do. I still do freelance stuff. I just don't ever get to hear it because a lot of the things I do now run out of state. They don't run where I live. I think a lot of people choose radio because of the simplicity. If you're driving in your car... You know which button it is, and you know you're going to get music, maybe a little bit of local news. As you said, they're going to talk about the local sports team, and you'll get some ads that aren't too annoying because they're local ads. And maybe you do want to buy a new car this week. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think a lot of that local advertising stuff, as much as people don't like ads, it's somewhat soothing <laughs> to hear, you know, things that maybe you, you frequent or, or, or the stores that you go to or the places you're familiar with. Uh, but again, I, I don't understand because, you know, if most people have phones, they've got more they've got more music than they could ever deal with. And yet broadcast radio still seems to be holding on because you have to choose if it's your own phone. You either have to choose an album, an artist, a playlist or put everything on shuffle. And if you put everything on shuffle, you're going to keep pressing that little button on the steering wheel to skip to the next track because it's never going to be exactly what you want. And I think giving up the choice means you're willing to accept someone else's selection and knowing that you can't change it. And and that probably frees the mind from having to worry about it when you're driving. It's interesting to note that Sirius XM in January announced that they have 32.7 million subscribers. Now, I don't know how many cars there are in the U.S. The population is, what, about 350 million? So there's maybe 100 million cars or something, 150 you know, people of age to drive and all that. And that's a huge number of subscribers to satellite radio. And of course, the difference with satellite radio is that your channels are extremely niche. There's a Bruce Springsteen channel, a Grateful Dead channel, a Howard Stern channel, etc. Do they have ads on Sirius XM? They do, don't they? Um, if they do, they're few and far between. I think they like to say that they're mostly commercial free, but there, there may be some commercials on some stations, yeah. on some channels. But with something like that, it's kind of like choosing a playlist on Apple Music. If you're that interested in 70s metal or 60s blues, there's going to be a channel for you. Well, and also a lot of those channels will have hosts or DJs or announcers or whatever that, you know, provide a little uh, human interaction, give you some interesting information about the music that you're listening to. You know, local stations will do that, too. I think that's that's certainly one of the great appeals about listening to a radio station is the uh, the human interaction that you get with the announcers. But how many times can you hear the interesting thing about the song and not get bored by hearing it again? Especially if it's like, I don't know, Stairway to Heaven, and you've been listening to this for 40 years, and you keep hearing the same stories about the song. Well, that may be true for mavens like us, but I think for a lot of people, hearing the same familiar trivia and 
mythology about a song or an artist is is part of that part of the experience did you know that in stairway to heaven the bass was not played by john entwistle no it was played by john paul jones no it wasn't played by john entwistle oh i see you're creating you're cre <laughs> I'm saying you can make up all the trivia you yeah, want yeah. basically but I, I don't find trivia that interesting the bbc has a thing on tv here where they rerun these old music video shows like top of the pops and the old gray whistle test and they do it with little inserts, little text inserts on the bottom. It's like, so-and-so met so-and-so at a bar after seeing a concert of so-and-so. And, -so. and th this band named themselves after their neighbor's cat. You know, the, the kind of thing. It's like, why do you even care? And, and are people watching this video on TV caring about this trivia? But in a way, that is the kind of DJ trivia that we used to get. It is kind of interesting. I remember VH1 over here had a show that did that. They would run videos, and then they would drop these little trivial things in and it became fascinating even if i knew the trivia it kept me watching so i guess there's something to it or you were more susceptible to that than i am yeah right? well natural i'm 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 just naturally i'm always on the look for trivial information about the music that i listen to it's just not only because i'm naturally curious anyway but because as a dj you're trained to like yes i gotta uh, what am i gonna say about this song i've got to pre-sell before the stop set you know what am i gonna what how am i gonna Coming up, we've got a song by Led Zeppelin that doesn't have the bass played by John Entwistle. I mean, you know, that's the sort of thing you're always looking for. So I said earlier that I don't listen to the radio, but it's actually not true because I do. I just listen to radio on podcasts. I listen to a number of public radio, U.S. public radio programs on podcasts, a couple of BBC talk shows on podcasts as well. But that's the whole difference between, as we're talking about radio, it's live real time as opposed to this time shifting where you can either go to a website like the BBC's iPlayer website and, and re-listen to something, or you can listen to something when you want as a podcast. Right. And that's, but that's talk, you know, that's just, that's always talk. Yeah. yeah. I never listened to music like that. And, and you wouldn't want to listen to music as a podcast because the, the audio quality of podcast files isn't very good. Right. Yeah. Well, again, but so is the quality of listening to a live a broadcast of music in most cases. I mean, I don't want to globally, you know, condemn all radio. There are some radio uh, stations that broadcast and take extreme pride in how they sound, but others do not. They're much more interested in getting the the reach. You know, there are radio iHeart Radio over here. They release podcasts of music shows, and you can listen to your favorite disc jockey from some other state and do his show. You can listen to that stuff. You know, when they say they have thousands of of radio shows they literally mean they have thousands of radio shows so you know there that is so people are listening to radio that way too i i often think that radio remember i said that radio is going to be dead in 10 years at the turn of the century and really what's happening is that radio is trying to ride the coattails of the internet back at the turn of the century the way radio tried to use the internet was we'll put our signal on a web page and then we'll try to sell ads for the web page. And so, as if people were going to spend their day at the web page listening to the radio. And staring at the web page and not putting that page in the background while they're at work. Exactly. And that obviously failed. And it also failed because the, the big companies realized they had to pay licensing for the music that they played. And it was just too expensive, so they stopped doing it. That's why podcasts, I think, are much better for them. I'm not sure what the licensing issues there are, but as far as broadcasting it over the Internet, uh, they decided that that was uh, not a good idea. 
You've mentioned a number of times that the quality of radio isn't very good. And, and we talked some months ago uh, about Sirius XM and neither of us use it. And uh, I didn't realize that its quality is so bad. It's like 128K or even less. And, and a lot of people complain about the quality. But remember where people listen to radio. They listen in their cars. I don't care how expensive your car stereo is. This is not an audiophile environment. It never can be. Or you listen to it on a portable radio. You know, those house painters who have an FM radio on, they're not, they don't care if it's in high-resolution stereo. They just want the music to accompany them. They're listening to their favorite radio station for the songs, but they're not interested in the quality. They just want to hear familiar music. They just want the silence covered. Yeah, I guess that's it. It passes the time. I think the exception to this is radio stations that broadcast classical music, where they know that they're going to have listeners who are listening at home on a stereo, and will expect better quality. And I, I think this is even the case with streaming radio. I think the BBC's Radio 3, which is the classical channel, started streaming in FLAC recently. So if you use their iPlayer app or even through the web, I think you can get a FLAC stream. I'm not sure if all devices can get it because you can buy a receiver that can connect to the internet radio through the receiver, and I'm not sure if, they're all, uh, if they can all get the FLAC stream. But I know that they've gone to that recently because the only way they're going to get people to listen is if the quality is there. If they have satellite radio quality, and, and satellite radio here called DAB, I think it's the same 128K as Sirius XM, people aren't going to want to listen to it if they really care about the quality of the sound. I find that the stations here that have HD stations, that is internet stations that they broadcast like their subcarriers or something like that, um, it does sound better because it seems to me that they're they're not running it through the processing that they would to send it to the transmitter. They're actually just sending you the raw uh, uh, audio, and that seems to sound a little bit better. And you can tell that it's not processed because the volume will increase or decrease when the announcer comes on or commercials are running or that sort of thing. So you can see that it's not processed at all. Um, but that's the problem that I have with it. It's just processed to hell. And it just sounds awful. But most people don't care. Right, exactly, as we've said. Radio is just not something, again, with the exception of classical or even talk radio, talk radio has to have a certain minimum quality. It shouldn't sound like AM. It should sound like FM. Well, that's an interesting thing, too, because talk radio has moved from AM to FM. The, the two big sports stations here in Boston are FM stations. They don't play music. I mean, occasionally they'll play incidental music between you know, shows and commercials and things like that, but they don't play music. But voice does sound a lot better in FM. No question. I think you've got a broader dynamic range, you've got a broader frequency range and all that. So if you want the voice to sound, I guess it's part of creating this atmosphere that the person on the, the radio station is near you, is next to you. Whereas AM, you just get this tinny sound that sounds like an AM radio, yeah. basically. Yeah, well, I rem that reminds me of, uh, we had... We were one of the first stations to uh, syndicate Don Imus. Uh, Don Imus in the 90s was broadcasting in New York at WFAN, which was an AM station. And he actually had listeners in Rhode Island. If you lived in southern parts of Rhode Island, southern parts of Connecticut, you could pick up WFAN on an AM radio. And we found, looking at the ratings, that lots of people in our demo were listening to Don Imus from New York. So... We were one of the stations that lobbied him to, would you please syndicate so we can get you on our morning show on an FM station? And he 
hemmed and hawed about it for a long time and finally gave in and he became a syndicated uh, national show. And But I remember the way we sold it was no static at all. We played that Steely Dan song. You can listen to Don Imus with no static. And it was a tremendous success, especially when you consider that at the time there weren't a lot of FM music stations doing four hours of talk for their morning drive shows. So you mentioned streaming radio, internet radio earlier. There are hundreds of internet streaming radio stations. And if you go into iTunes, you can find, you know, in every genre from all around the world. I've never really listened to too many of these because maybe it's the fact that they're not local. You don't have a, you don't have a relationship with that kind of a radio station. You don't really know what they're going to play. I mean, you can go to their website and see what they've been playing. They generally have a list of, of their music so you can find out. But I've just never found that to be a compelling experience. Yeah, I agree with you on that. I, and I've, I've listened to a lot of those stations. And after a little while, it just sounds like somebody's mixtape. It doesn't really have any personality. It's just very clunky, uh, very robotic. Uh, unless, you know, they put inserts in. Unless, well, there's a station that I listen to, Radio Paradise, which does a very nice job and, and tries to have a little bit of personality. Um, and, the, and actually, the music that they play has a personality, too. But a lot of them are just... Play a song, play a song, play a song. Like, remember Live 365? Yeah. Wasn't that the... Yeah, that was a, a, a place where you could go and also hear uh, those kinds of stations. And really, it was just a, somebody setting up their iTunes uh, with a bunch of songs on shuffle. And that's pretty much essentially what they were doing. Well, there was software that allowed you to do that with your iTunes library yes, for a while. Yes, that's right. QuickTime server you could use, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That that goes back. Yeah. But obviously, this is people wanting an alternative when streaming music didn't exist, when maybe their local radio wasn't very good, or they were in an area where they couldn't pick up much radio. And also, it's fun to do. I mean, think of how fun it would be if you could, you know, I'm creating a radio station. I, you know, you, it gives you a, it's a thrill to it. There's no question about it. As a person who spun records four hours a day, five days a week, I can tell you it's pretty thrilling to, to do that. Um, it's a lot of fun. I didn't like the talking part so much, but mixing the music was a lot of fun. Yesterday, when we were discussing this, I went to look and see if there was any local radio here in Stratford-upon-Avon, and there is. There's There are two radio stations, and they're manned by volunteers, and they're on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And and we were talking and were saying, why would someone want to spend their time doing it? But as you say, it is kind of fun. And in particular, there's one jazz program, and the guy's probably you know, got 10,000 jazz CDs and likes sharing it and tells stories. And this musician, you know, the trivia, this musician played bass on this and he played trumpet on that or whatever. And the first thought is, you know, how many people can be listening to this? But then then I think both of us said, well, look at us, we're doing a podcast. And <laughs> <laughs> Right, exactly. It, it's fun. We meet interesting people. We enjoy talking to each other. And, you know, there are thousands of people who listen to every episode. But when you compare that to what a radio station could reach if it has any sort of traction, although let, let's be fair, even a normal radio station in this town of about 20,000 people, and let's say the area around it is another 10,000, you know, what percentage of people are listening to any given radio station, even if it's a national right. radio station? Yeah, the, the problem with having a radio station is you got to pay for it. There's a huge cost in maintaining a radio station. I mean, transmitters don't run on air. Transmitters run on electricity, and you've got to pay for that. And you're, if you're on 24 hours a day, you're paying for 24 hours of electricity. You've got to pay for a facility. You've got to pay the staff. You've got to pay maybe their insurance. The, so there's a lot of expense in 
in doing a broadcast radio station, but having an internet radio station has very little overhead and you don't have any of those costs. The stations there, though, they ran advertising, right? Yes, they do. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I haven't listened to any of them yet. They, because when we were talking yesterday, we're recording this on Monday and we were talking on Sunday and they're only on air Friday, Saturday and Sunday until like 3 p.m. So by that time, it was too late to catch them to find if they have advertising. But they do talk about advertising on their websites. But they, they present themselves as community radio stations, kind of like public access cable TV in the early days without the Ugly George show where anyone can put on a show and they have hour slots and it's music. And there was one which is people talking about literature. And I guess why not? You know, you like a certain type of music. Maybe I should volunteer to do an hour of Grateful Dead every week. Sure, why not? I mean, if they're looking for volunteers, could be a fun show. Be one jam a week, one hour. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> be really easy. I do a one-minute intro, the lineup, the CD or the digital file or whatever, and then boom, it's gone. Talking about that, how has the production of radio changed? You know, back in the day, they used to put LPs. The DJs had to put the needle down on the LP. You'd put the needle down, and then you'd turn the record back until be, before it made sound, and then you'd have these turntables where you'd press a button, and it would start up to the right speed almost immediately, which was, you know, mechanically not that simple. Well, you slip-cued it. The turntable was spinning, and you... You slip-cued it, you held it, you pressed it gently towards the center spindle, and you would hold the record in place while the platter spun, and you turned it back a quarter turn because that's how long it would take the record to get up to speed with the platter. And so you would become quite adept at doing the quarter turn slip-cueing. Um, you did it without even looking at it. You did it while you were, and you did it while you were messing with volume controls and things like that at the board. Or... If you didn't do that, you might have had music on carts. I worked at station. A lot of stations did this. Carts are like eight-track cassette cartridges. Exactly. But they were not eight tracks. They were two tracks. And while they were continuous loops, they had tones on them that the machines they played on uh, knew when to stop. So when it hit a stop tone, the, the cartridge would stop playing. Sometimes you'd have a cue on there that would play the next machine. So that's how you would play commercials. You put commercials on these carts. Each commercial would be on a different cart. You'd line up the carts in three different machines, start the first one, and then you could walk away for three minutes while they played automatically. But a lot of people would record 45s onto carts, and that way they would keep the pristine version of the 45, yeah. and then if the tape wore out, they could just record it again. Um, and then later, we got digital. Um, I remember the first digital machine that I used we had to spend a lot of time dumping um, music in it, but then all you had to do to play it back was just push a button on the keyboard, and it you didn't have any LPs or carts in the studio. You just played So it was these. like making a playlist in iTunes? Similarly, it was much more primitive than that. The first one that I ever used, I remember the, the developers of it were at the station fairly regularly trying to fix bugs in it. It was one of the first ones that had been used. We were trying to integrate it with a syndicated music program. We were getting like this country uh, station from one of the national syndicators and they provide avails. A, a they provide places in the, in, the, in the programming where you could insert your own commercials and that sort of thing. And we were trying to get the computer to integrate with the tones that came down from, from that syndicated program. Later on, it got a lot better. Um, what you have to do is you have to not only create a music log, 
that says, so you have a, a machine that generates the music log every day, but you also have commercials that have to run. So the traffic department, which is what that is called, who they schedule the commercials according to however the contract specifies that a client is supposed to run. And so they would schedule the commercials in a very similar way that the music was scheduled. And then you'd put these two things together and then put them in another machine that had all the sound in it. And then that would play the sound back. And then I remember working with those live. And then eventually they introduced voice tracking whereby a, an announcer could record all their breaks ahead of time, not doing it live. And these breaks could be inserted and edited with the music. So I would do, I one of my last jobs was to do the midday show and I did it between nine and 10 o'clock. The show ran from 10 to two, but I recorded it all in an hour. And so they had a four hour show for an hour's worth of work. Whereas before I'd have to sit there for four hours. So you can imagine the cost savings. Automation and replacing jobs. Absolutely. And a lot of disc jockeys do not like voice tracking. But on the other hand, I've, I knew jocks who loved it because it enabled them to do all kinds of cool things. For instance, I remember I told you that uh, a guy I used to work with would record requests. And if it was a particularly good one, he'd record it and save it and maybe even use it two or three weeks later with a song. You know, someone would have something clever to say about a Nirvana song. He'd say, I'm saving that. And then later he would use it when it when it worked to his advantage when when doing his show. So it's a good thing. It's a bad thing. It has eliminated a lot of jobs. For instance, most most radio stations on the weekend don't have live people. You may even notice that there are no live people at all talking. And if you do hear them, they might be voice track. But they don't even need to be anywhere near where the radio station is broadcasting anymore do they no they're that's one of the things that's going on is that this consolidation that's happening uh i mentioned iheart radio they own about 840 radio stations across the country and while they don't program the same music for each station i mean the, the stations are not identical they each station does its own uh uh programming of the music they are probably using the same music whether they play it in the same order or not is completely different but they're probably doing it that way there are stations that use syndicated uh programs like i talked about that country station that we had that was the same programming running on many stations but uh, i i would think most people would want to have um a, a little say in in how the music is being presented so that's that's probably what's happening in most cases but you one of the things that they're doing is they're eliminating the obligations that radio companies have to have to their locality. They recent the FCC recently eliminated the main studio rule, which uh, which obliged you to keep someone at the facility during regular business hours. Now you don't have to do that. Um, they've eliminated the the public file. You don't have to keep a physical copy of the comments and suggestions you get from listeners in a literal file. And you don't have to make that available. They're going to put it on the internet now, which is actually makes a lot of sense. But what it's that, easy to access for anyone without having to go to the station. Absolutely. But what that does is it eliminates the obligation for the company to keep anybody locally. So technically, you could have a radio station, but have nobody working at it. It could be run from a remote location, and that's not good for local radio. That that eliminates the the, the local sense that I think a lot of people like from a radio station. So it's less expensive to run a local radio station like that. And doesn't it mean that it's easier to have 10 local radio stations in a market 
even if not many people listen to them and their ad rates can be relatively low and they'll still break even. But that's a sort of false competition because the local radio station that is present in the market with real people is fighting against basically ghost radio stations. I think that's one of the reasons that in in a market like Boston, the, the big stations are local talk stations. And that, you know, because there is so much locality and, you know, they, they are doing a great job with the content. Whereas a radio station that's run on as a robot, let's say, maybe not, maybe doesn't do so well because they're lacking that local content or they're lacking any local flavor. And that could be a problem. But you're right. If they're breaking even, that's all the company cares about. They're not trying to change the world. They're just trying to make a buck. So if it's easier for them to make a buck with fewer people and fewer expenses, then they're going to go for it. And the more stations they have and the more ears means that they can sell ads more efficiently. Yeah, they can sell different kinds of packages and that sort of thing. Company A, B, or C would rather have ads that can be heard by 10 million people than by 1 million people. Of course. So what's the future of radio? I know you follow this. You're often tweeting things about radio news. What do people in the business think the future of radio looks like? I think they think it's going to be fine. I think they think it's going to continue. I think um, there's going to be some adjustments made. Uh, iHeartRadio has recently filed for uh, bankruptcy reorganization. They owe a lot of money. I'm hesitant to say it's $20 billion, but I think that's how much they're in debt. I do remember that it was in the billions. Yeah, and that's a lot of money <laughs> for you know for a radio company to be in debt to. And I think they'll restructure and they'll be fine. But I think it will just uh, it will have an impact on on the quality of the content. I don't think there's any question about that. And who knows what? I mean, I don't own a radio. I have one radio in my house, and it's it's part of a receiver, and that's it. I don't I don't ever turn it on. Uh, any radio I listen to is is either through iTunes or through a web browser or or through a, an internet radio that I have hooked up to my, or in your car. my network. Yeah, or in my car. But that's the only – in fact, I heard an interesting thing the other day. Many young people think that a radio is a car device. It is exclusively a car device, which kind of makes sense because, well, you drive around and you can pick up this local broadcast on the radio. And so it's that's that's what it's there for. And I, so I don't know if young people are going to actually glom on to, to radio in the future. Um, right now, it, it seems that people our age or people of a certain age still like radio and still listen to radio. But I think that they'll find it, it will be greatly changed. But I, I, I don't think it'll be that different. It will still sound like song, 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 commercial, commercial, commercial. But I don't think you'll use a radio device to actually listen to radio programming. Well, I will go so far as predict that the death of radio will come when we get self-driving cars. Because you won't need to keep your eyes on the road. You'll be able to watch Netflix. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You'll be able to watch Game of Thrones instead of listening to commercials. Sure, or play a game. Sure, yeah, play a video game. Or do your taxes. You'll be able to do all sorts of things. You won't, because the one thing about radio is you can listen to it without it distracting you too much when you're driving. And once you can be distracted when driving, you don't, you're not going to want to sit there and look out the window and listen to radio. So radio is going to have to morph to make itself extremely interesting. One way this could happen is through sports. And I wonder if this could actually lead to sports events taking place at different times of day. Say you have a baseball game at rush hour instead of starting it at 7 or 8 p.m. But I can't see people choosing radio over other things when they have to choose something that doesn't distract them. 
My wife used to drive between Providence and Boston, which is an hour either way, and she listened to audiobooks. She didn't listen to the radio. <laughs> right, right. So, th so there is competition. There's audiobooks, there's podcasts. But I think for most people, that implies a choice, and you need to pay more attention with audiobooks or podcasts. Although, well, I don't drive much. I drive to do errands, and if I'm driving on my own, I'll put on a podcast and listen to it. And it's fine. I can understand what's going on without having to pay too much attention to be distracted. I, I'm not as good with audiobooks in the car, however. That that I find a little bit distracting. Right. Well, I, I personally think that, you know, radio is, it's let's face it, it's a 19th century technology. It's pretty much a 19th century technology. And it, I, I don't, I predicted it was going to die, and it didn't. So maybe it's just going to take a little longer. Uh, but I, I think you're right. I think um, there will be too many other technological uh, advances that kind of crowd radio out, broadcast radio, that is. And eventually it'll just become too expensive to own a facility. I mean, gee, the electrical bills alone are just, just to cover that is, is an amazing price. Well, let's, let's take another look at the future of technology. Radio will no longer be transmitted over the air, but it'll be transmitted over a cellular network. Right. And you'll get, because every car is going to have cellular access in the future. High-end cars already have that, but every car will have that in the future. So instead of a transmitter, you'll just be streaming the audio digitally. And you won't need these transmitters anymore, so it'll be a lot cheaper. That's right. I, I think that will continue. But again, uh, if you've got these streaming services that are, are are catching on, then what's radio just becomes a competitor in that market. They're just another streaming well, service. Well, no, because, because you've still got talk radio, you've still got news, and these are the kind of things that aren't available on streaming services yet. Although Apple Music does have an NPR stream, and I think an, one other talk, radio stream that they run so th there is some overlap but i think more people listen to radio if they're not listening to it to fill in the silence they're listening to it for something that is happening now talk news sports traffic weather yes traffic and weather you're going out on, on you're on your way out to work and maybe even before you leave well before you leave you've got the tv but once you get out you want to know if there's an accident on route 99 or whatever it is so you know which way to get to work. Well, you know, I can get that information faster on my phone, even if it's the TV traffic reporter tweeting the traffic reports that he's giving on ah. television. I, you know, I will get them on my phone first. But of course, if I'm in the car, well, there's always the great WBZAM all news here where they do traffic and weather on the threes. And so that's pretty dependable. So maybe, you know, maybe radio is just for the car. You give us 22 minutes and we'll give you the world. And eight minutes of commercials. <laughs> All right, we've got to listen to them next tracks. Kirk, what are you listening to this week? We talked about ECM Records some time ago when they came onto the various streaming services. ECM is a German jazz label that's had a wide variety of jazz and some classical ranging from early music to avant-garde. And it was really a breakthrough for them to give in to streaming, as it were, because they weren't selling enough. There's a sort of an ECM sound that started in the 70s. It was founded by a guy named Manfred Eicher. I think he produces most of the recordings. When you look at the covers, they all have this sort of minimalist Mark Rothko-type look or some sort of, you know, New York school of painting from the 1950s. And if you just listen to some of their playlists on Apple Music, Spotify, whatever, you'll find a really interesting flavor of jazz. So when I see a new ECM record on Apple Music, I generally try it out to see if I like it. 
And the other day, I came across a record called Returnings by Jakob Bro, Pelly Mickelborg, Thomas Morgan, and Jan Christensen. Now, I feel a little bit uncomfortable talking about this as my next track because I don't actually remember enough about this music to say why I liked it. And I was reading the other night, and I put it on, and I listened to it three times. I just put the album on after it finished. It's not very long, and, and I put it back on. And I don't understand why. Now, the description of the music talks about watercolor guitar sounds, a soft, milesy and flugelhorn, free-floating drumming. And, and I do remember that this was a kind of ambient jazz that didn't have that sort of direction that you get in a song that goes from A to B to C. And it was more free-form, but it wasn't free-form avant-garde, sort of Ornette Coleman stuff. It was free-form mellow jazz. So it is a guitarist, someone playing trumpet and flugelhorn, a bass and a drums. And it was really interesting, and I'm going to listen to it again to find out why. What about you, Doug? As I sometimes like to do, I go back to some of the music that I played on the radio that I'm kind of burned on, and I try to listen to it and reevaluate it. And this week I'm giving Eric Clapton's 1989 album, Journeyman, a fresh listen. This was a very good record for Eric Clapton, uh, despite the sort of self-deprecating title, when you think that the word journeyman means okay, but not great. And like a lot of his 80s album, it has a very calculated feel. The big hits from this record were Bad Love and Pretending and No Alibis, which taken with his earlier hits like Forever Man and It's in the Way That You Use It, they sort of all blend together. Uh, it was produced by Russ Teitelman, who is a professional hit-making producer. And so it is a good-sounding record. And as well-crafted as indeed these songs are, they ring a little hollow for me, because I grew up listening to early Eric Clapton, John Mayall, Blues Breakers, Cream, Blind Faith, Derek and the Dominoes, which I consider sincere Eric Clapton. His super pop star status never really felt quite right to me. In fact, Clapton was frequently accused of being a sellout. You may remember that a uh, a chill version of After Midnight was used in Michelob beer commercials. And frankly, I was fine with that. But anyway, like any late 80s album by anybody, you have to have Phil Collins guesting on a track. And Phil plays drums on Bad Love, which is the album's big rock hit. It's got Robert Cray on a, on a couple of tracks, including a, a blistering version of Bo Diddley's Before You Accuse Me, or as I like to say, Before You Cues Me. Actually, this album is bursting with guest musicians. George Harrison is here, Chaka Khan, Daryl Hall, Gary Burton, the jazz vibraphone player. This album, in fact, won Clapton a Grammy for Best Male Rock Vocalist the next year. And it's just weird to think of Eric Clapton as Best Male Rock Vocalist. So this album has a little bit of everything. And while he was having a lot of mainstream success, which I thought was great, uh, I still hoped that someday he'd go back to his roots, which, of course, is what he's been doing for the past 20 years or so, much to my delight. But if you like the MTV incarnation, you may want to give it a listen. Journeyman by Eric Clapton is my next track. This has been The Next Track, a podcast about how people listen to music today. You can find show notes and links to some of the things we talked about in this and other episodes at thenexttrack.com. There's also a contact form there you can use to send us comments. If you like the show, we hope you'll subscribe in iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And please think about giving us a review or rating. We'd appreciate that. I'm Doug Adams, and for Kirk McElhern, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time.